everyone to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan and we are back to talking football instead of talking about movies that talk about football. So let's not delay, let's go ahead and introduce the guys. He is ready and willing to talk about the helium shortage that will stop Nebraska from handing out balloons at football games. Sam Blecka is with us. What's going on, dude? All right, we're just trying to save the sea turtles now, so... He wants to talk about his favorite player, who was a former Heisman winner in 2011 and former Miami running back, Eric Myron. Jacob Allen is here. What's going on, man? Who? You guys see this story? (laughs) It's on CBS. It's on CBS NFL. Ricky Williams changed his name to Eric Myron. Myron is apparently his wife's maiden name. Well, I am glad you clarified because when you led me up with the intro, I thought it was going to be Ricky Williams, and then you said that name. I was like, uh, something's off. It's Ricky Williams. Most things usually are. And I am Sean Deegan, and I am ready to talk about which number 55 will be remembered as the best in Chiefs history when the Chiefs inevitably bring back D Ford. Let's dive into our topics today. Uh, while we were talking about Kevin James and why he shouldn't do movies anymore. We The NFL schedule got released, and we wanted to go ahead and give our thoughts on that because uh, this is a doozy, man. There's, a, there's some tough cookies uh, for the Chiefs this year for the, when the 2022 schedule was dropped. Um, just to quickly run through it, they opened this season in, on September 11th against the Arizona Cardinals at Arizona. Then they are home against the Los Angeles Chargers on Thursday night. Uh, Go back to Sunday uh, on the road at Indianapolis. Then are on the road again at Tampa Bay. They will then come home for two games, play Las Vegas Raiders and the Buffalo Bills back-to-back. And they will head back to the road uh, for the San Francisco 49ers. They get a bye week in week eight. So just shy of about halfway through the season. And then go back. Uh, back to work at home on Sunday night against the Tennessee Titans. They will be at home against the Jack- Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, then head back out onto the road against the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, come back home to play the Los Angeles Rams. And then head back out on the road for three straight games against Cincinnati, Denver, and Houston. Come home for Seattle and Denver and wrap up the season at the Las Vegas Raiders. Jens, that's a tough ask for Kansas City. That is, there are a lot of contenders on that schedule. So, first things first, um, what do you think is the toughest stretch for the Chiefs in this schedule? I think like there are a few candidates. However, you want to quantify this, whether it's like a three-game, five-game stretch, whatever, however you deem this question. Uh, however, however you choose to uh, answer this question, I should say, what do you think is the toughest stretch on this schedule? Sam, we'll start with you. I would say just after the bye week, um, when we go Tennessee, Jacksonville, and then LA, LA, and then Cincinnati, you get that kind of a softball pitch in there with Jacksonville, but you're looking at a five-game stretch there where not only do you have four teams – that are all playoff contenders, uh, one that made this or the, and then two that both made the Super Bowl last year, obviously you're kind of jumping around. It's, it's all after the Jacksonville game, you go 
Los Angeles, home, Los Angeles, Cincinnati. So it's a lot of traveling in a short amount of time versus really good opponents. So I think that that five game stretch right after the right after the bye, even though we have one kind of cupcake cupcake game in there, is going to be a, a pretty rough one, um, especially coming back and having to face the the really physical Tennessee team just after the bye week. So you get rested and then you get real beat up and then you have to go on a crazy run. So. Jacob, what about you? What do you think is the toughest run of the Chiefs have to make uh, in this 2022 schedule? I don't love the start of the season. I mean, once once you're at where you're at with the, you know, being a continued team, your schedule is always going to be pretty tough. And so I guess my feelings toward it is any sort of schedule release at this point, as, you know, one of the top contenders, Joe is like, you know, you're going to get a tough schedule. It is what it is. You and you know that you have Patrick Mahomes, so you know that you have a good shot in every game. But the start of the schedule always worries me. I would concur with Jacob. I'll specify a little bit more and say the first four uh, are really nerve wracking to me. Um, starting the season on the road is starting at home or on the road doesn't necessarily matter to me on the schedule. But going to play at Arizona, a team that's got some dangerous offensive weapons. Granted, they won't have DeAndre Hopkins, but they did add Marquise Hollywood-Brown, um, who does add that speed element that the Chiefs have long struggled with. And then having to travel, and I get, like, you get to come home, but you have you get to come home and you play a Thursday night game after being in Arizona. So you're crossing time zones, you're coming home to play on a short week uh, against a team that many people yet again are saying is the main challenger for the Chiefs to take the AFC West with the Chargers. And then you have to immediately flip back and go back out on the road at Indianapolis, a team who I think improved their quarterback situation and still has some pretty solid weapons. I really like Michael Pittman with the Colts. Uh, Jonathan Taylor's obviously a monster. And I really like Alec Pierce, um, who is a you know, the big 6'3", 200 and some odd pound wide receiver who has ran a 4-4-1 officially at the combine. They've, they've got some dudes out there. And so that does worry me a little bit. And then that last one on Sunday night at Tampa Bay. So three out of your first four are on the road and you wrap up that four game schedule with the Buccaneers on a team that's basically the same thing that they were minus Antonio Brown. So that stretch for me is, is a little nerve-wracking. I think that's a stretch that if you come out of it two and two, you're probably feeling pretty good. Um, if you come out of it three and one, you're like, wow, we, they might genuinely still be a Super Bowl contender even with all the change. And a stretch that if you go one and three, you're probably still in it. it it's just a really grind, a really tough grind to overcome. So that's going to be a stretch that for me as an emotional fan, I'm going to have to just do my best not to overreact to the results because it is such a difficult stretch on a kind of slight step to the left or right note. What do you think will teach us the most about the chiefs? What game on this schedule do you think will give us the most information about what kind of team the Chiefs are going to be this year. Whatever that means to you, what do you think will – which game do you think will teach us the most about the Chiefs? We'll flip things this time, and Jacob, start with you on this one. I think right out the gates, the Cardinals game could be a pretty big eye-opener or, you know, reality setter for them of 
is this new defense legit against a talented quarterback? He's we all know he's very athletic. He has the potential to be dynamic. There's mixed emotions about the guy because of how Cliff Kingsbury and his team seem to finish the end of the year every year. But that's that's part one. And then you know, without Tyree Kill, I think everybody is gearing up to see what is the what does the offense look like without him. And you're you're going to find out week one because the Cardinals have a solid defense. They've got a lot of good young playmakers. So I think that first week is monumental on the schedule, even if it's not the strongest looking team on paper on your entire schedule, but because the Cardinals are still very solid. Sam, what about you? What game do you think you'll be able to glean the most information from uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs? I think it's going to be week two um, against the Chargers. The Chargers always play Chiefs to have always played the Chiefs stuff, regardless of how good they are now that they're actually a legitimate team with the with one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. I think you're looking at a team that if you if you come out of that game with a win, you're feeling really good about yourself because it's an early season win, obviously, which as we know, with lots of turnover as we've seen in the past, when you get those massive turnovers, um, or in this case, the main one of Tyree Kill, where that was happier offense, it seemed like sometimes last year. It's it's a really different ball game than when like you're playing if you're Tampa Bay and you bring back your entire team it's just kind of like okay just back at it so I think the the game versus the Chargers is is going to tell us a lot especially on our offensive line because that's the first of the the just ridiculous combos that we see so that will let us look at you know what are our tackles looking like has Orlando Brown Jr settled into that left tackle role a little bit more. Um, and do we have a right tackle? What, what's the situation with that? Cause you've got uh, Bosa and Mac on both on either side. It's going to be, could be a long night for Patrick Mahomes or, or it could show that, you know, we're, we've got that, that aspect of the team settled pretty well. I like both your picks. I'm going to push things out a little bit though. I'm going to say the one that you'll glean the most information from is week 13 against the Cincinnati Bengals at Cincinnati for a couple of reasons. One, this defense has a lot of young pieces on it that the Chiefs are needing to contribute in big ways. You need LeJarius Sneed to kind of have a bounce back and and come back strong throughout the year, not just have a, a solid second half. You need him to be what we're hoping he can be in a starting number one, or at least a very high-end number two. I, I put my flag in the ground that I thought he'd be an all-pro at some point. Um, so I'm hoping that he's a legitimate number one corner. Trent McDuffie, George Karloftis are obvious ones. You need Nick Bolton, Willie Gay Jr., Leo Chennault to be the trio at linebacker that you think they can be. And you need these this safety group to actually fit together. You need Juan Thornhill to be there from day one. You need Jordan Reed to be the leader that you think he can be. And you need Brian Cook to be the enforcer that it looks like he is on on film or in the highlights. It will take time for that defense to come together. And I think that at that point you will get a test against kind of going into my next my second point about it against a team that is kind of built to give the Chiefs problems based on how they have traditionally attacked teams on defense, where the Chiefs try to blitz a lot. They try to create a lot of pressure on the quarterback. They don't have have 
typically had the most athletic corners are typically big and physical. Trent McDuffie is kind of this, this new exception to that rule where he's definitively more athletic, but maybe isn't as big and physical as big and strong as some of their corners have been in the past. But this is the team with the Bengals that they beat you twice in, in key situations that, you know, where you could have cinched up a one seat that didn't happen. And you had a chance to go to the Super Bowl and it didn't happen because that team beat you when you tried to bring pressure they just lobbed the ball up to Jamar Chase or T. Higgins, and it works. When you try to take those guys away, they still have Joe Mixon at running back who can really cause you a lot of problems. That that At that point in the season, I think you'll have had definitively enough time to know, okay, is this defense ready to go? And you're doing it against a team that's kind of built to beat you. And in the ways that we have talked about where you have like fast receivers on the outside, a really great running back in the middle. The only thing that the Bengals don't have is a tight end, but they've got three legitimate receivers across the board. So for me, that's going to be the game that I think determines whether or not I look at it and go, yep, this team's ready to go back to the Super Bowl, or this is a team that's talented, has maybe won a few games to this point, but it's going to need a few things to break their way in order to get back to the game that they want to be at. Tyler Eifert still on the injured list for the Bengals. I know he retired, but like, is he still on the injured list? Like, do they just leave him on there? Cause he's broken. And like, <laughs> they're worried that like he stepped his toe at home and just have to put him on the injured reserve list again. I honestly don't know. You say he's broken. He's a year younger than me, which, you know, I'm, he doesn't say much for those who know, but uh, I don't, no, he doesn't. He, he doesn't have any stats since 2020. Like there's nothing on pro football reference. So I don't know if he's technically still on an injured reserve list or if they officially moved no, to like he's a free player. agent. I think I thought he retired, but I think he's still attempting to come back. I don't they they haven't perfected the uh, robotic limbs form yet. So because okay. that man was hurt more than any player I think I've ever seen in my life. And I know because I drafted him every year in fantasy football, thinking that, hey, he may still help, stay healthy this year and actually score some points. That was a lie. DNA results proved their truth detector test proved that was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> On a similar note, what's the game you guys are most excited for? Like, what's the game that you're like, you're like I don't care what's happening I don't care if I'm, if I'm supposed to have dinner with friends or family. I don't care if there's a wedding. I don't care if my wife asks me to, like, renew our vows. I'm going to make sure I'm watching this game. What's the game that's got you most excited to see uh, on that schedule? Uh, Sam, we'll start with you. Um, I mean, I've got kind of between two. Obviously, the Tampa Bay one, just because you get one of the last – running into one of the last Mahomes-Brady competitions aspects of them actually getting to play against each other it's just barely beat out by by buffalo we know what buffalo is what josh allen showed us last year so that that's one of those games that turn into a slugfest and we know what happened last year in the buffalo get the, the season buffalo game so there's a little bit of uh probably animosity um on the buffalo side so i think that's going to be quite quite the quite the matchup this year when, when they meet each other yeah, the last time I threw out my right shoulder, punching the air, and nearly went into cardiac arrest. So I feel like that's a solid pick. Jacob, what about you? What game has have you circled 
that you're going to make sure you see no matter what for the Chiefs? Christmas Eve Seahawks. Like you said, perfect reason to not speak to any family members. <laughs> that was what you were trying to explain about the family thing, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. That's definitely it. Thank God my wife doesn't listen to this podcast consistently because uh, I can get away with that. Hey, well, you know what? We have that in common. Neither does my wife. I don't think Sam's wife listens to this podcast either, so I think we're three for three there. <laughs> right but, now, uh, Sam's mom is going, he has a wife? <laughs> Poor you know what? We're thankful for our loyal listeners. Yes, we are. And we're, we're also thankful for our loyal wives, even if they aren't loyal listeners. <laughs> we're loyal listeners to them, as we try to be as good as we can. But... Uh, uh, not to sell myself out as a terrible son, but my mom probably is thinking, you know, he doesn't talk to me so frequently that he may have gotten married at this point, and I don't know. So that's just the... Sorry, Mom. All right, but my true answer, I mean, you know, just skimming the schedule quickly, the one that stood out to me was playing the Super Bowl champions is fun, and especially if you take a look at what happened the last time that uh, the Chiefs and the Rams played. Now, Cam Irving won't be part of the equation, but last time they played, pretty fun game. Yeah, that one was on my short list for sure. For that reason, like all the highlights that could have come with it, um, Buffalo was also on that short list. I'm going to say Denver. Um, I want – I'm at Denver the first time because I think at that point – Denver will have had enough time together where the, the Denver faithful will be excited and ready to just completely buy in if, if they are playing well and doing what the, the fan base hopes that the Broncos are going to be doing. And I'm just really excited because we'll be hitting right about the time where Russell Wilson usually falls off for about two to three games. And I'm just really excited to watch Patrick Mahomes spank the Broncos and just put them right back in their place. I think that that team has a lot of hope right now with getting Bradley Chubb back healthy, bringing in Russell Wilson. Uh, They already have some tremendous weapons offensively, and we've talked about their defense and the pieces that they have. So for me, that's the one that I think the other two I think are going to be more exciting. Buffalo may put me back into cardiac arrest just because of how that went the last time and because that one actually has AFC playoff implications for the Chiefs that are are harder on my, my physical and mental health to, to deal with. Um, and then the Rams, obviously, just because it's the Rams. But for me, I think just if we're going to take a, an easy, you know, rocking chair kind of game to just enjoy and be excited about, that's the one for me because I'm hoping that the Chiefs just come out and spank them and put them right back where they belong in third place. And last thing here, and we'll jump into our next topic here, uh, which Jacob provided, and I think could spark some interesting conversations here. Looking at this schedule, what's your early prediction for a record? We haven't obviously done a deep dive into it. We haven't, you know, I won't hold you to this or anything. There's just a, a quick glance and go, oh, yeah, I bet they could go blah, 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 based on what I'm just seeing here. Knee-jerk reaction. Sam, what do you think that record could be? It's going to be a tough one. The AFC, I think, this year is going to look very strange with how competitive it got, how quickly, where, to be honest, and this 
probably sounds weird is is I think we could easily win the AFC West with a like a twelve and five record. And so I I, th- I mean I'm not saying we're we're gonna win obviously close to every game, but I, I could easily see us losing five games pretty pretty easily. Um, so I, I'll shoot for twelve and five. Uh, there's obviously some some pretty I call them cupcake games on there, but there there's few and far between for our schedule. It's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a rough ride. So it's one of those that I could almost see us be as easily be five and twelve as sacrilegious as that sounds with the schedule that we're facing. It's just we've got got some tough tough games in there, but I think I think twelve and five is my early prediction. Yeah, I'm the same. I just because I'm not different, I'll go ahead and go second here. I twelve and five is kind of was my knee jerk reaction. I think if this was a sixteen game schedule, I would say eleven and five because it's seventeen. I think they'll squeak out that twelfth win, but I I do think five losses is is pretty realistic for the Chiefs this year, especially given all of the change that they have, both offensively and defensively. I think there could be some growing pains early on. And then they surge late once everybody's kind of on the same page. Jacob, what about you? What do you think early season, early predictions on a season record? Uh, once you took a look at this schedule, what do you think for the Chiefs? Yeah, I'm right with you guys. I I was kind of debating 12 and 5 or 11 and 6. And JJ said, quit being such a Debbie Downer. Just, you don't, you can't not be undefeated until you lose your first game. Said, he, he's just very upset about that. I wouldn't predict 17 and 0. We're going to move to something a little bit different. Jacob actually brought this to our attention just based on a tweet uh, by a Twitter account uh, by Mark the Overseer, who is he? Mark is a writer for uh, Sports Illustrated Chiefs, writer and a, a blogger who was able to come up with this stat about the Chiefs that Jacob brought to us. Essentially, what it tracks is how many players drafted by a team are still on the team in terms of their wins above replacement uh, percentage. So, for instance, they track this over the last four years. So 2017 to 2021, the Chiefs had a total of 116 picks. 24.1% of those players are still on the Chiefs roster right now. What this also tracks is how much of your war percentage was lost by players leaving and how much of your war percentage or how much of your war percentage drafted by that team during that stretch. Jacob, I might need your help on this just to make sure I've got this right. Um, total war drafted by the team, excuse me, is the exact stat. So how many wins above replacement did your team draft between 2017 and 2021? How much? How many uh, wins above replacement did you lose by players leaving? And what percentage of the picks that you made between 2017 and 2021 are still on the team? Those are the four pieces that were compiled in this uh, statistical breakdown. Now that I've stumbled over that sufficiently, the Chiefs, again, 116 picks, 24.1% still on the team. They only lost 1.46% of war from players who have left during this time. 
and total wins above replacement that are still that were drafted by the team during this stretch was 20.58%. That was good for first in the NFL. We did a comparison between Veach and John Dorsey, which this, I will say, this does include Dorsey's last year in 2017 about trying to figure out who's had a better run, what does Veach need to do in this uh, this draft that he just had, which would have been his fifth draft, which is as many as John Dorsey had with the Chiefs. This this kind of has, has me thinking a few things that I, I think are make for interesting discussion. So I wanted to ask you guys, what does this table tell you about Veach's drafting? If we were just to use this as the metric, which obviously there's a lot more data, statistics, personal opinions, et cetera, that go into it. But what does this table tell you about Veach's drafting ability? Sam, we'll start with you. This one's hard because it is, it is very easy to say, you know, Patrick Mahomes, really good quarterback. Because you, you look at it, you look at the teams that are sitting at the top there, the specifically top three. What did they do over the past since 2017? They managed to get a real pretty solid quarterback in the Chiefs, Bills, and the Baltimore Ravens, um, and it, it does turn your franchise around. So that there's a big heavy aspect of, of the Patrick Mahomes effect within that I think these statistics, just because it would have been nice for this to be a 2018, like if they would just, I, I get that they want, but if they would have bumped it one more year, just so it got rid of him, because it would tell us more about what Beach is doing, because this is not purely Beach's drafts. But I think what, if you isolate to, because obviously Patrick can't be the only part of this story. He's a big part of it, but he's not the only, but what it's saying is I think it's showing what Beach has done number one is be able to find and fill gaps with players that are overlooked, I think, a lot of times. And an aspect of that, if you're really digging deep, is maybe some of this has to play with his kind of poor cap, poor cap management, some of the deals that he made early on, because he's had to fill a lot of veteran presence with younger guys. And so you're seeing younger players replacing veterans that is almost a forced thing to occur because you can't keep some of the older players. You can't because you, you're paying Frank Clark a ridiculous amount of money. You had to have money tied up in pl- just players that weren't performing to the level that we paid them. So you're, you're starting a lot more younger players, um, which obviously plays into that replacement total that, that these guys are winning now with Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes helps you win but you're, you've replaced a player that wasn't doing as well. Again, some of those guys were with the Alex Smith teams and everything. So it, it definitely sh- – I think that if you're really isolated to Veach, um, it shows that he has done a really good job of finding quality replacements for players, regardless of the situation as to why you have to replace them, aged out, contract demands, or just, just being able to find better players. And, and I think this – if you really want to move it into this year's draft, he, I think that's what it showed is he, he identified the issues this year. This is the first year we looked at it. And we said, you know, I, I feel like he kind of kind of hit all of all the nails on the head. I think it, it shows that beach beach may get a little bit of a bad rap 
um, and we'll get more into this, um, but I think it, it shows that he has been a competent drafter, even if that is uh, Patrick Mahomes' sway that, that has affected his numbers. Jacob, what about you? What does this table tell you about Veach's drafting? As a math teacher, I, I saw a table with numbers, and I was just excited to ask myself, does the table mean anything? Because I have looked at it, three or four times now it could mean something it could be absolutely nothing reason i really ponder about what its actual value is and again i saw multiple people post it and say brett beach she's a dynamite drafter because of this like sam said it's not all brett beach there's one year of dorsey which would make this a lot more concrete for me especially since you imagine that the war drafted by a team and if it's with Patrick Mahomes included, do you imagine that's a lot of wins above replacement or basically value above his next person in line? Because if you look at the Texans and you look at their their war that was lost, it's 13 and the Chiefs have 20 total war gained. It tells me that the quarterback holds a lot of weight as far as the war goes. The other one that's interesting to me is just percent of the guys still on the team the range is not very large for any team. So that was another one that kind of surprised me, but is also something I think you can't fully rely on either because good teams can't keep their players always because there's a salary cap, like we've said. And, you know, some of the ones that are pretty low, you you can come up with why, but other ones that are high, like, was this good? Because some of them, it's like, I, I don't think that's so great for you that you have 33% of your players is Carolina, for example. And I think that's second highest. Buffalo is 35. But we know those two teams' outcomes have been very different. So what I'm trying to say is I saw this and was completely puzzled and wondered if you guys thought this table actually meant anything. Here are my thoughts on it, because I agree with you that the war lost or the war drafted by the team, I'm sure is heavily influenced by Patrick Mahomes. I think that's a huge, huge factor here. He's, it cannot be overstated what he means to the team. And I'm sure his wins of our replacement are bananas. But what I do think it will tell, what it does tell us is that I'm only counting. Hey, a, oh, real quick, Sean. When you say that bananas, Alex Smith wasn't necessarily a bad quarterback. No, I'm not saying that, but I but the jump from Smith to Mahomes is it's a different stratosphere. Like their wins above replacement is is significant. Now I mean it's not like it's not like the Josh Allen or EJ Emmanuel to Josh Allen jump. <laughs> or I don't even know who the quarterback for the Bills was, but right. I but again, you're like you're talking about a Hall of Fame level quarterback a hall of fame level start to your career versus a guy who is a good quarterback but not great and again i get your point where it's like yes that war jump isn't as big as god what happened in buffalo for sure i I agree with that but what i will say is that when veach has decided to let players go it seems like it has been the right choice more than anything else, I think that's what this said to me, is that when they've drafted players, it's worked out more often than not. 
in terms of how this this table judges it. And when they let players go, they don't lose. They don't regret it per se. It's not like they let somebody go and that guy went on to change a franchise or be a major contributor um, or a starter, all pro, pro bowl level player on another team. When you look at the war that they lose, the war percentage that they lose, I was trying to count this out quick and it looked like there was just a quick count, four teams that lost less war percentage from players leaving than the Chiefs did in the whole NFL. So to me, that what that tells me is that when the Chiefs have decided to let players leave, it's good. And it's been a good thing. It's been the right decision, which to me is almost as big a deal as, as hitting on your draft picks, is knowing when to walk away from players and letting them go. And then when you look at the total war that they were actually drafted, it speaks for themselves. It speaks for itself. They're number one out of all of the teams in the NFL. Again, this is a metric. It's not the metric, but I do think it is in telling in a lot of ways in terms of how they evaluate players. And I think Chiefs fans should feel very comfortable going forward based off of this table, knowing that the Chiefs are in good hands with Brett Veach as someone who will make a good decision, not just on who to draft, but who to let walk away. To validate you even further, Sean, I hadn't really thought about that all that much. So that, that does, you know, hold some weight of when they let guys go, that's not guys that are contributing afterwards. Meaning, like you said, the timing was right. And this is not a team that is stranger to letting them walk. If you look at that time frame of 2017 to 2018, complete defensive rebuild and then after the Buccaneers Super Bowl complete offensive line rebuild so they're no stranger to letting teams go or players go and when you think about it like that 2017 team and the 2018 team some of the players that you let go to your point Sam they let they traded away Alex Smith who had a career year with the Chiefs in 2017 they moved on from Tom Bahali after 2018. They moved on from Justin Houston and D Ford after 2018. They let a lot of those guys who were typically considered premier players walk. Now, again, Tom Bahali and Justin Houston weren't what they were, but Justin Houston was still a solid player, just wasn't worth the contract at the time if you're the Chiefs at that point. It, it, I think it is a, a, an encouraging sign for the Chiefs that they're not just making a good decision on who to draft and making good decisions on who to let walk. Moving on to the next part of this, how does this agree with, contradict how you have viewed Veach as a, a talent evaluator, a, a drafter, a general manager? How did this table influence what you thought about Brett Veach? Did it contrast with what you thought previously? Did it just confirm kind of how you felt? Um, Jacob, we'll start with you this time. Well, I'm an American in 2022, so I only seek out information that validates my points. And and you can't change my mind even when I do see those things. But, you know, I am somebody that is generally positive on him. And I think we all kind of agree that this is a massive year for 
what the I'm not going to say his legacy because I think he's already cemented parts of his legacy and the fact that you know he got this won a Super Bowl and kept Super Bowl, but as far as his current status, it it's the biggest year he's had. I guess it didn't really sway the needle for me at all, other than just I guess in a way validating of hey, you know what, I'm going to try to take the Mahomes out of this, but and it tells me that he's still kept a lot of great players or drafted a lot of great guys in. Sam, what about you? How did this influence what you think of each as a drafter? Did it contradict anything that you had previously thought? Did it just confirm what you thought? What did this do for your opinion on Veach? No, I've been kind of there with Jacob where I've been a fan of Veach from the beginning. I've never seen him as – yeah, there's been some some moves that have ended up seeming questionable, but at the time, I mean, you think about the Frank Clark decision or move, all of the – like, at the time, those seemed great, and they just didn't age as well as, as we'd hoped. But I think my biggest thing and that I've – the way I've looked at Beach is, is kind of the way that I brought it up is, you know, this is the first time he's done this. And I think he's done a pretty damn good job, and we've seen the development. And I think this chart, again, it, it's – it's hard to, to glean a lot off of this to, to ver- validate Beach. I don't think it's a great validation of Beach being a great drafter because, again, just because a guy has replaced another player doesn't necessarily mean, like, we've had some stinkers that probably have contributed to this war purely because they're winning, essentially, <laughs> where at the other top positions they, they may have been a better player and they did not win, but – I think it's uh, it it generally validates that I I've considered Veach to be a very good GM, um, and this is a, a component of it that kind of ties in. Um, and I think he's a guy that yeah, this will be a, a pivotal year for him. But we've seen the development, which is the biggest thing for that that I enjoy watching about or enjoy watching enjoy knowing that we have a, a GM that's not stagnant that's continually developing and changing the way that he he looks at how to build the team or how how best to go about the draft or the offseason with what we're having to deal with with a lot of things it's it's a very positive thing and like i said this is just a a component of validation to to my feel my feels on what beach is yeah for me what this does is it less i'll keep this short it less it's less about him as a talent evaluator and a drafter in terms of drafting and more about what I kind of previously said is the ability to not just let players go, but let players go at the right time. Because if you showed this table to me before this season, I would have been more surprised than I am now with the ability to make a tough decision and move on from Tyree Kill, which was one that hurt a lot. And if you're a Chiefs fan, I don't know anybody whose knee-jerk reaction wasn't, man, that – that sucks. Tyreek's not here anymore. And because I think initially in 2018, it was pretty easy to go, yeah, they're moving on from Tom Holly. Yeah, they're moving on from Justin Houston. But to be able to say, we're going to move on from a guy who is literally hitting his prime, or who is in his prime, because we think now it, it will better our team, not just now, but in the future, I think is a tough call to make if you're a general manager. So for me, it's less about just him is going, wow, he's a great drafter. We all think he's a pretty, he's a good drafter. It's just a matter of, does he hit on those premier positions like edge, corner, et cetera, and more about 
he can draft well, but he won't get too attached to any of them that he won't move on if he needs to or when the time is right. I think that's what this taught me more than anything. Our last thing for tonight, we'll wrap things up. This is a bit of a, of a fun brain exercise that doesn't involve math. Um, so I will at least be able to more effectively participate since I am not a math teacher and not good at math. I wanted to present a couple of key, uh, key players that we think will be key contributors for the Chiefs this coming year and get your guys' opinion on who will have the bigger impact specifically in 2022 because some of these names you can you know, I presented them to you you go wow well that guy's gonna make a bigger impact throughout his career as a chief and I there would be a very pretty easy call but specifically for 2022 I want to know who you think out of these players is going to make a bigger impact I've segmented these into sets of two um, there are three groups um, those two players each play the same position in each of their groups and I want to know which one of those guys you think is going to make a bigger impact. So here we go. Starting off at the wide receiver position, who will have a bigger impact in 2022? Sky Moore or Juju Smith-Schuster? Sam, we'll come to you first. It's so hard for me. This one's actually a hard one for me because I, I still just don't know what Sky Moore is. Like, is he a cheap man? Cheap, cheap man's Tyree Kill? Is he like, like, is he Jarvis Landry? What is he going to be? I kind of know what Juju is. And I, I think I think that's been a move that's been relatively overlooked because I know we a lot of people, and I think us included, have, have called Juju a, a glorified two. But I mean, the see there we've seen him at times be one of the best or most productive, I'll say best, most productive wide receivers in the NFL in that Steelers offense. And granted, he had, he had Antonio Brown on the other side, but there, there's a lot of skill there. And that, that doesn't come just out of nowhere. So I, I think, I think the addition of Juju to this offense is going to alter it a lot more than I think people are giving him credit for. Um, I think Sky Moore, I, I just can't judge him what he is. Like he just, his tape, I'm trying to imagine him fitting in the offense. I know they'll, they'll obviously find a way to get him involved and, and get him involved early, but I just, you know what Juju is and you know what he can bring to the table. So I think he's, for me, I think he's the immediate impact guy um, that comes in and, and really fills gaps that were, we were lacking with the loss of Tyreek and, and just what we've missed over the years with, with trying to fill it with lower, lower level guys. Jane, what about you, Sky Moore or Juju? This one I think is easy because I think Sky Moore sits somewhere between like 500 to 800 yards of receiving this year with three or four touchdowns. That's kind of where I see him at. Not that I don't think he's going to be successful long-term, but I do think it's going to take him a little bit of time to get adjusted. Versus Juju Smith-Schuster, I think, could have a very good year for himself and get a payday, not from the Chiefs probably, but from the NFL in the sense of I see him as like a 800 to 1200 type guy and in the seven, eight, nine region of touchdowns. And so for me, it's not a hard one because I, because of the fact that I think Sky Moore is going to have some adjustment time to really become a impactful NFL player. Yeah. I'm not going to take too much time. I think Juju on this one as well. I've been a big proponent of Juju to the chiefs and nothing else really to say there. Just think he's going to be the guy. 
This next one, I think it might be a little bit tougher after this past season. We move to the secondary, specifically cornerback, and we will say, and I, I will ask you guys, Trent McDuffie or Legereus Sneed? And we'll flip things this time, Jacob, and we'll let you go first. Which one do you think will have a bigger impact in 2022? I think by the second half of the season, my answer is going to be Trent McDuffie because, you know, essentially going one-to-one in the sense of, like, who is Trent McDuffie replacing? Charius Ward, right? I think Jerry Sneed still plays solid and getting to still have somebody across the field that we all think is going to turn into a lockdown corner still keeps Legereus seen as a very solid player, a good player. But on the other hand, it's like, I think McDuffie's ceiling is quite a bit higher than Traverius Ward's was. And it could be somebody that you're like, this is the one guy that will take somebody away. And so that's why he is my pick, but mainly based on what he becomes by the second half of the year. And Sam, what about you? Trent McDuffie or Legereus Sneed in 2022? My pick, I'm with there with Jacob, with Trent McDuffie, but I think it's actually doesn't have to wait to the halfway through the season. I think it's almost an immediate impact because what we've seen with, with corners, corner I think is the one position that these guys can come into the NFL and, and almost be immediate impact players that changes a lot about what goes on in the defense. So I, I, I agree. I think Trent McDuffie for me, I'm going to change things up. I'm going to say Legereus Sneed, and I'm going to say it just because I think they will probably still continue to use, pending on the development of the rest of the cornerback room, but I think they will still continue to use Legereus Sneed, kind of how they have where he will move down to the nickel at times, so come off the blitz, and I think after having taking a step back last year, he takes two steps forward this year, and I think he'll be – the player, maybe not the player I thought he would, where I was like, he's going to be an all pro, not because he's necessarily a lockdown cover corner, but because he's really good at everything. I think this year you see him take that, those two steps forward and become uh, a key cornerstone piece uh, for the Chiefs going forward, regardless of where he lines up on the field. And last one for tonight, staying in the secondary, moving to the safety position. And I will ask you guys who has a bigger impact in 2022, Brian Cook or Juan Thornhill? Who do you think has a bigger impact? Sam, we'll start with you this time. Yeah, I think for me, it's Brian Cook. Thornhill, unlike Sneed, where I think Sneed's still under that development period, and I think he can get better. We kind of know what Thornhill is, who is a very good player. But I may be swayed a little bit because I think Cook became – it's a tie-up between Cook and, and Leo Chanel, who's now my draft crush of watching these guys hit people. But I, I think Cook could be a legitimate starter in this league. Um, just I, I think he's got some development, but I, I he's the kind of player that you can bring in and play that what they wanted Dan Sorensen to do, but actually do it well, um, being the bigger box safety, um, something that we we've that we know Spags like to have. He likes to have those big box safeties that come up and, and play the run and are able to cover tight ends. And I think Cook is going to be – I think he's going to be able to to potentially be that guy alongside Je- uh, Reed and, and Thornhill as kind of a rotational player just at a much higher caliber than what we saw last year having to suffer through Dan Sorensen. 
I will throw my two cents in here just very quickly. I will say Brian Cook as well. Um, I think Juan Thornhill foreshadowing was last year. And I wonder if he's if he's ever going to really get back from that ACL injury. Um, again, contract year is undefeated. So he may come out and prove me wrong. But I think Brian Cook has enough a high enough athletic ceiling that his versatility could really play in this in this defense and like you said sam he's just a thumper that's willing to come up and and play the run and do all the things that you want a box safety to do as well jacob take us home who do you think has a bigger impact in 2022 brian cook or Juan thornhill this one was the hardest one for me because i love Juan thornhill i feel i feel like he finally was going to get to be the free safety without the uh, Tyron's going to play free for a little bit and be the rangy guy versus I think that's one Thornhill Hill's role. And it looks like that would be what he's set up for this year. But I also know how he's been treated the last couple of years of weirdly in the doghouse for multiple reasons. And I think I'm with you guys on the sense of, I think I'm almost just choosing the unknown because of what I already know about Juan Thornhill. And so that's why I will probably say Brian Cook, even though I don't feel like he's going to be majorly impactful, since I think he is just going to be a role player versus a guy that should be a full-time starter. But the Chiefs history tells me differently. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for us tonight. We appreciate you joining us. As always, you guys are the best. We will be here the rest of this offseason. We're hopefully going to get some more news. We'll have some more thoughts and as we dig deeper into uh, OTAs and training camp coming up as we move forward towards the 2022 NFL season. Until next time, y'all stay safe out there. We will talk to you next week.